And thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where we are previewing week seven of Super Rugby Aotearoa. And helping me break it all down is my pal Cameron Jeffrey. So we have the Crusaders hosting the Hurricanes on Saturday night in what will be a pretty bumper clash. The Red and Blacks looking to extend their home streak to 37 in a row, while the Canes, who ironically were the last team to beat the Crusaders in the Garden City back in 2016, will be looking to make it four in a row, having defeated the Chiefs, Highlanders and Blues in their three previous fixtures. And then we roll on to Sunday, where the Blues play host the Chiefs at Eden Park. Both teams looking for a win after losing in their previous round, or in the case of the Blues, the last two rounds, and in the case of the Chiefs, the last six. So, yeah, a few different talking points, but I will jump straight into it and let you guys listen to what me and Cameron talked about. Enjoy. Oh, well, man, um, we'll jump straight into our preview, bro. So thank you very much for jumping on this week to help cover round seven of Super Rugby Aotearoa. I know that I've been enjoying the footy and I thoroughly enjoy the two games on the weekend. But because I'm only just catching up with you now, man, sort of give me a rundown of what you thought of the, the competition as a whole and maybe a bit of a brush over from the weekend just gone. Yeah, no, nah, I'm really enjoying the footy at the moment. I'm loving the local derbies every week. It's definitely some high-quality rugby. Um, I definitely prefer it over, you know, the typical Super Rugby format. Obviously, the week just gone. A couple of really good encounters between some quality teams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love the Canes game. I was up off the couch a few times. It was a close um, one, one, though, eh? Because... The Hurricanes have been dominating position the last couple of weeks, and for whatever reason, the Blues were ahead late in that game, and fortunately, a Suffle managed to crash over, and, and the referee, because when it went upstairs to the TMO, I wasn't actually sure, I didn't actually hear the, the, the referee at the time say that he'd seen a grounding, and because when I watched the replay, when you watch the TMO, you, there is no clear grounding, so I'm like, yeah. damn, is he going to give it, is he not going to give it, but he gives it, and then... The better Barrett at the moment, or my favourite Barrett, he steps yep. up and he, he slots the goal from the sideline. So, nah, it was yeah. a it was it was a bloody good game to get me hyped for a, a Saturday night out. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to see a few of them, and I and I definitely um thank Geordie for his performance. Yeah, <laughs> that night. Yeah, I was pretty. I think Mercer Wellington was pretty happy. Yeah. Oh, after I, the yeah, yeah, yeah. For his brother. <laughs> Yeah, I've, it was a funny one. I, did, I didn't actually get the chance to um, talk to any of the any of those boys about it and, ha- and how the, the Hurricanes boys felt, I, I saw. I more so sort of left them alone to enjoy their night out. But <laughs> no, it, was, it, it, it was a weird one because even when Barrett scored, I was quite taken back at how exuberant he was. I didn't think he would celebrate because if you remember back to round one, he was actually quite mellow and he didn't do a lot. Well, albeit he didn't score a try, but he didn't sort of celebrate overly. But I guess maybe the booing got to him on Saturday night and he, he didn't expect it. And yeah, he was yeah. pretty pumped up after he scored his try. It was a mean try, but yeah, yeah I, I, I more sort of expected him to just, I don't know, do like the classic Jonah Lomu and just put the ball down and run back to halfway rather <laughs> than, than punch it into the air. Yeah. 
I reckon something I enjoyed about that try was that he was just at first receiver, so maybe it was like a slight not at where he should be playing sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, there was there's been a lot made of that positioning of both him and all Teddy Black since their loss to the Crusaders. I mean, I, I got into it a bit, and I had some pretty strong feelings expressed to me from two different parties, one being Adam Julian, and I had uh, an, an ex-teammate of mine, Thomas Kibuto, on the podcast, and they both think that Bowden Barrett is a first five. And I, and I think Bowden Barrett is a first five as well, but I think that this whole fullback experiment thing has been a little bit overblown by the media, and yeah. that... Yes, I agree that Moanga is the informed 10 at the moment, but I don't think the fact that Bowden Barrett is playing at fullback and he's not getting as involved as we'd like to is diminishing his all-black's placement. Because, I mean, yeah. like, he, he's never not going to be an all-black as long as he's around. And what I think has actually happened is that Ian Foster has gone to the Blues and been like, hey, I want to kick on with this dual playmaker structure that we're running in the All Black setup at the moment and that's part of the reason why he's been pushed to full back at the Blues because I mean he is their franchise player and he's getting paid an extreme amount of money to be the face of the Blues and with that comes a lot of responsibility and he wants to play 10 so I don't know why they wouldn't want to play him there outside of their being some sort of influence from the All Blacks so but I mean that's just my two cents I don't actually have any hard proof to back that claim up but yeah that's just yeah. how I see things. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I was kind of thinking it kind of just suits the Blues roster at the moment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's another big reason I think that the fact that Stephen Petalfetta went down during COVID or just before the the kickoff of Super Rugby Aotearoa that sort of forced Leo McDonald's hand to keep Orteri Black in that ten role and take nothing away from Orteri, he's been playing pretty well or yeah, playing well. as well as he can it's just the fact that off the back of their loss and people wanting to see Bowden play in that 10 jersey I think there was just all this hype and the fact that the Blues lost and the fact that Bowden Barrett didn't play all that well in that game there seemed to just be pitchforks out for Barrett in the 15 jersey and everyone wanting him to play yeah. 10 and that you know if he doesn't shore up his act that he won't be in the All Blacks, but I I will think that's just a bit of media hype. But yeah, I guess it's also Bowden Barrett's. Yeah, like you said, big media hype. He's always going to get people clicking on the articles, sort of thing. And um, OTD Blacks. I think he's been playing like some of the best footy has like mm. in his career. It's pretty gutted to see him get injured. I don't know. Do you know if he's available this week? I'm not too sure. That's the only unfortunate thing with recording this preview so early in the week. But oh, yeah, I'd say he wouldn't be because he took the head knock and he passes HIA, but then he left the field not long after half time either. So I'd, I'd be surprised if I saw him in the starting lineup. Yeah, and... he took a decent one from Ben Lamb. You wouldn't mm. want that leg going to your head, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't want to stick my head anywhere near Ben Lamb's thigh, left, <laughs> left, left or right, but. Yeah, good on him for <laughs> getting stuck in because I know that a lot of boys would, would rather sort of go for the, the shot up high than be brave enough to try and take out his legs. But on the point of injuries though, bro, the spectacle of Super Rugby Aotearoa has been great, but ultimately it seemed to have taken a toll on quite a few players already with injuries that have been sustained during the past six rounds. 
We've had eight players ruled out for the rest of the season, the latest being David Havili and Ethan Blackadder. But they joined Kane Hemmington, Josh Dixon, Sam Gilbert, Luke Jacobson, Cullen Grace and Tobin Robinson on the season-ending injury list. And then before the season even kicked off, we had the likes of Scott Barrett out for the remainder of the competition due to some sort of niggly foot injury he picked up in the in-house training run for the Crusaders when they had their bye during the first week. And we saw the likes of Hoskins Satutu take the week off yeah. this past round and before that we saw Josh Iwani pick up a, a groin niggle and although though in the case of Scott and Josh those injuries weren't from something that happened in a game it obviously was due to the intensity of the prep and the team runs that the New Zealand teams are having to go through to get themselves up for these derbies week in week out so do you think that although the the product has been great and uh, viewership doesn't or hasn't been better. That Super Rugby Aotearoa is actually sustainable from a player perspective. Um, probably not. It's just the nature of the competition. You know, you're pretty much playing a test match every week. There's bound to be some injuries. Uh, it's not probably not sustainable at the moment, but I think in the future it's definitely something they need to have like a big think about and try a uh, look at the player management sort of thing, or the mm. load and keep an eye on all the players, make sure they're not overdoing it sort of thing. Yeah, so getting to that point though, so with all the talk at the moment of leaving South Africa out of the competition and potentially not even having Australia involved, although I don't see that happening, I think there are always going to be Australian teams involved in whatever the Super Rugby tournament is called going forward from, from 2021 onwards. But, again, if you take out South Africa and if you potentially take out half the Australian teams, I think that ultimately means less money coming in due to the revenue share. But then on the topic of player perspective, with there being more of a demand from the playing group to get up for this type of football, you know, this test match type of rugby, we're going to have to, like you said, see more player load management come in. And so is that going to mean teams extending out their squads to have more players involved? And then I, for me, like the way I'm sort of looking at this in my head is like, how are you going to have more players on the books, but with less money coming in without cutting player salaries? Yeah, so, that is a hard does one. It, does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I see, see where you're getting at. But um, it's definitely just a hard one. Uh, all the rugby union is going to have to sort out. I think they're going to have to have like a couple Australian teams, maybe. Like I don't know if this will go through. It, it might be an unpopular opinion, but they they probably need a Japanese team in there for like a revenue sort of thing to get mm-hmm. money in. Yeah. Even if it is like you know the New Zealand Battle of Fifteen or the Battle of Fifteen from uh, <laughs> people that couldn't quite make a Super Rugby side. It definitely mm-hmm. does bring in like money from a like a viewership sort of thing. Give like people will be watching it on TV from Japan, and that could definitely uh, generate some coin for the whole competition. Mm-hmm. And um, getting money, f- I don't know if we're going to get much money from Australia. Um, well, they've got no money. They're, yeah, they've got they're, no they're, money. their debt is ridiculous, and I'm pretty sure the TV deal that they signed with Fox Sports for the latest Super Rugby season was 
like less than 20 million, which was like half of what Fox Sports had offered like earlier in the year before COVID had hit. But the Australian Rugby Union had held out in the hopes of them bumping up the deal. But like with a lot of people, COVID has put them through the ringer. So, yeah, yeah, I, think, I, you yeah. Know, I don't think there's any money coming out of Oz to contribute to yeah. New Zealand player salaries. So, they yeah, definitely, we'll just uh, how that plays out. They've sacrificed uh, their depth of rugby for more teams sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they, try, they try to branch out a lot more than they could actually uh, plant, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they just need to strip it right back and just keep two teams, maybe three teams, you know, Queensland, New South Wales, and probably the Brumbies, because historically you can't really count them out sort of thing. Yeah. But the funny thing is, though, having talked to some people who are in the know from, from a business sense, the the big money guy over in Australia at the moment is actually tied in with the Western Force. Oh, true. <laughs> which oh. is... Um, <laughs> Which, which is, yeah, which is quite funny, I guess, looking at it from, from a Kiwi perspective. So it's more so like Rugby Australia actually need the Western Force to keep them afloat, which is what I've sort of been led to believe. But, oh, yeah, yeah I, I'd have to do some deeper research to, to get an idea of yeah. how all that stuff plays yeah. out. But, yeah, I, I get pretty bored when you're, when you're, when you're crunching the numbers because... I mean, footy, footy's yeah. hard enough to follow as it is. I don't, I don't need to get into the, into the yeah. little nuances that um, <laughs> take place off the field. But um, we'll, we'll kick into this first game, bro. So uh, the Crusaders host the Hurricanes. Uh, now the the historically best team in Super Rugby have an undefeated run of thirty six games at home. But coincidentally, the last team to beat. The Crusaders in the Garden City was the Hurricanes back in 2016. Now, we are yet to see an 80-minute performance from the Saders, but like we've seen in all of their games pretty much, they always leave their best moments till last. So with the confidence that the Hurricanes are riding at the moment, do you see them being able to follow the same script of just leaving the game to the last 20 minutes or putting in their best effort in the last 20 minutes being enough to get them home? I feel as though they've kind of got this new sort of game plan where they just kind of truck along and see how the game's kind of going and then <laughs> in the last 20 minutes they just do what they need to to win sort of thing because they're that good really yeah well they're the best I guess at learning on the go and their bench is arguably the best in the competition we've seen on numerous occasions how big a difference their boys from the pine made yeah, I mean, for me, and like even even looking towards the Hurricanes, I know that the the Crusaders won the kicking duel with the Blues in that hyped matchup because the well, everyone around the country was looking at that game and thinking that it was going to spark this rivalry of old. But yeah, I'm not too sure how I how I quite feel about that. But yeah, the, the Hurricanes, like I mentioned as part of the intro, have dominated position in their past two rounds, and with that have opted to keep ball in hand rather than kick it away. Now, it's proved fruitful in their wins against the Chiefs, Highlanders and Blues, but against the best team in the competition who have the best defensive line, do you think that that is going to work? Do you think that the Hurricanes can actually afford to keep so much ball in hand and not play for field position? 
Yeah, I think they kind of need to find a mixed bag, but without losing, you know, their quality traits sort of thing, they definitely need to just play the Hurricane style footy. I think they've been a victim in the past of just trying to change up their game plan whenever they've played, especially in Christchurch, to try and, I don't know, outsmart them sort of thing. Well, that's a, that's a funny one, though, because I more so side on when you're playing a team like the Crusaders, you almost have to come out with something unorthodox because yeah. they are that good at doing their homework on team structures and team game plans that if you go in there sort of following the status quo, that even if it works for 70 minutes or, in the Blues' case, 65 they were able to throw that that last punch and get yeah. themselves home. So unless you can sort of shoot yourself off to a three, probably four try lead, uh, I think if you're going to try and go toe to toe with them and grind out the game, you have to have something up your sleeve. Yeah, no, that's and, true. And fortunately for the Hurricanes, a man who came out and had one of the best games of his career was none other than the second five Nani La Mapi, and it was quite cool to see him after the game give quite a candid interview, talking about how a lot of people have have put a bit of disrespect on his name and the fact that he's one-dimensional, you know, sort of takes him out of All Blacks consideration. But as we saw on the weekend, when you run that hard and (laughs) are that that fast or deceptively quick, you're still a pretty big handful uh, for your opposition. And he's going up against a pretty good defensive centre and, in my opinion, the best defensive centre in in the country at the moment in Jack Goodyear, so... How do you see that matchup playing out? It'll definitely be physical. Um, it'll be a good one. Um, I see the Hurricanes might be looking for him to play sort of a different role this week. I've seen before this week, obviously, with all the criticism, oh, he's getting all the criticism because of maybe he was trying to be like a decoy runner and like pass the ball, sort of drawing in defenders, sort of thing. Which uh, it was working for the Hurricanes. You know, we saw those tries. That um, Wes Goosen and uh, Cobus Van Vleck were scoring. So I guess it's a matter of how they use him this week, which will prove how good he could be for the Hurricanes, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah Corey Jane came out uh, in an article this week on stuff and mentioned the fact that he's trying to find that happy medium between knowing when to carry, knowing when to pass, and knowing when to kick. And I yeah. think that he himself... Um, as in Lamapi may have got caught up with him being a ball player and being used as a decoy when, in fact, at the end of the day, you know, he is that effective with ball in hand and that he should just back himself nine times out of ten. Because even if he doesn't give the pass, he's more than likely going to get over the advantage line and beat the first man. I mean, like, how how many guys can you name off the top of your head have skinned Bowden Barrett like he did? On the weekend, I, yeah. I I can't I can't really remember anyone. I mean, even I thought even after he beat him initially with with, with the sidestep, I thought that Barrett was going to make up the ground. But that just goes to show how quick Lau Marpi yeah. is when you just he give really him the chance. To... Yeah, when you give him a bit of room, eh? Yeah, he's never really had the chance to go on the outside toe to toe with a big name like that old Bowden Barrett. So yeah, yeah. that's I, I, pretty amazing what yeah, he can do. Yeah, exactly. And I was just about to say, I bet that Barrett wishes that he'd gone around on the outside the second time, eh? 
Holy yeah, heck, I don't know, I don't know what I'd do if yeah. I saw Nathan Amafi running at me like that. <laughs> Bodhi must have been like trying to get up fast on him, so Nani couldn't just like run it straight at him, couldn't yeah. build up the speed sort of thing. Well, I think regardless, it's always going to hurt, so you sort of sort of duck, close your eyes and try and get some sort of body in front of him to, to slow him down, because um, as we've seen, not a lot of people can, can chop him. Yeah. Or OTD Initially. Black called it the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that's gutsy. Yeah, I think I'd sort of just like, yeah. Nah, oh no, nah, I'd probably back myself to to try and wrap up the ball, like whether or not it'd work. Is yeah. Where do you tackle him though? He's got no like target spot. No. Sort of thing. And if you go too low, he's just gonna bunt you. And you go too high, I don't even know. Probably still gonna get bunted. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't know that answer, and it seems as if uh, opposing defences don't know that answer either. So, who knows? Check good who might have the answers this weekend. Yep, oh, yep, yep. I, I hope he doesn't. Probably too, will. Man. So, okay, we'll wrap this one up. Which way do you see this contest going? Look, I can't go against the Hurricanes, obviously. Um, uh, yeah. Um, like you said before, the Hurricanes definitely have to get out to like sort of a two try, three try league. So, if they can start early, you know get on a bit of a roll and then just kind of grind it out from there. I can see them winning, but other from that, uh, yeah, well, it might be a hard night out for the Canes, but I still have faith in the boys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to say the Hurricanes, but, you know. It's, it's pretty hard to get past the Crusaders at home, eh? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think if this game was being played at Westpac... I'd feel confident in the Hurricanes potentially getting the job done, but I think the fact that they're going to be playing in Christchurch, where yeah. the Crusaders haven't lost for 36 games, it is going to be a, a really big ask. Weather is going to be a, a big part of the game as well. I think if it, if it pisses down and it's kept in the Fords, I'm not sure that the Hurricanes have a chance. Now, again, I've had in Humble Pie the last couple of weeks, seen that the Hurricanes pack, didn't have it in them to to beat the Highlanders, beat the Blues, and even the Chiefs when they got back from the bye, and they've, and they've proven me wrong every single weekend um, of, the th- of the three just passed, but uh, the Crusaders are something else, yeah. and I think that even if they front up with the right attitude and put in 110%, that the Crusaders are just that good and that experience that I think it'll see them home now. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you, bro. My, my heart wants the Hurricanes to win, but I, I can't get past the the Red and Blacks. Yeah, well, I'll, and, I'll be uh, at the game, so who knows? They might see me in the crowd with my uh, 1997 Hurricanes jersey on. It might be enough to push them through. Oh, fingers crossed, my bro. Fingers crossed. But um, Sunday afternoon has the Blues playing the Chiefs. Now, the hype has cooled on the Blues the last two weekends with their consecutive losses like I mentioned before there was a lot of hype surrounding their their game with the Crusaders and it seems as if they've gone from the the media sweethearts or or darlings to being yesterday's news with with, with two losses mm. um, especially with, with with the game just gone but they are playing a Chiefs side which are pretty hopeless at the moment and as we saw on the weekend any confidence that that squad, had must have been shot after giving up a 24-point lead 
a quarter of the way through the first half of their game against the Highlanders now. They've already set a record for the most consecutive home games lost with five in a row. And if they lose this weekend, they will set another record for consecutive losses full stop in a row with seven. So, Jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that really speaks for itself. But on the note of the Blues, though, despite having only a third of the ball in their game against the Hurricanes, they still managed to lead the game with five minutes to go, obviously before Safua Moore scored his try and Geordie Barrett kicked the goal. Um, and they're still kicking the ball over 20 times a game. But presumably with having Bowden Barrett at first five, like we mentioned, if, if all Teddy Black's out, that could see a bit more play off 10 or a, or a lot more attacking intent off 10. So do you like the idea of having Barrett running the cutter and, and seeing the, the Blues revolve a bit more of their attack centrally rather than out wide? Yeah, well, it would definitely be interesting to see old Bodie at 10. And I think one player that I was... It, well, this is kind of irrelevant, but... Oh, not really. Um, I, I really enjoyed Sam Nock at the start of the year. I thought he could have been, you know, future all-black potential sort of player. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, going back to what you were asking, yeah, it'll definitely push the Chiefs' defense in of uh, Bodie's at 10 and free some space out wide, and hopefully you can see that Blues Fuller, you know, Fuller come come out. Well, 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 they've got enough flair, and they've shown that they're, even with Otiri Black running the cutter, that they're just as dangerous on the outside or, or can take their, their opportunities on the outside when they are presented to them. But, yeah, I, I am really interested to see Bowden Barrett back in the 10 jersey. I, I, I saw some post today that it, it had been over 300 days since Bodie had started uh, in, in the 10 jersey. And I think that in the games where he's come into that first receiver role towards the, the back end of a contest, that he has actually looked pretty good. Yeah. And that for all the flack that he's been copping, he has made a difference. Now, of course, it, it's tough to look at all that stuff and point out the highlights when his team has lost, like we've seen the past two rounds. But I don't think we'll see uh, any drop-off in ability or, or, or any disparity between his last game at 10 and hopefully his first game at 10 in 2020 this weekend. I think that he'll pick up right where he left off. And that, yeah, I, 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 am, I am interested to see how, how it goes with this, with this team setup, though. I'll, I'll be interested to see who goes in at fullback. I think the, the most likely option will be Matt Duffy, considering he was on the bench last weekend. And, I mean, he, he, I mean he's, a, he's a decent finisher in his own right. He sort of dropped off in the last couple of years after an all-black selection on one of their end-of-year tours, but he's more than comfortable under the high ball and yeah. seems to have enough toe to, if you get him on the outside, he, he can finish in the corner or at least link up with the likes of Mark Talia, Caleb Clark, or Riku Iwani. So, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, like, like you mentioned, Barrett adds a, a different dimension in attack when he's that close to the ball and that if he can suck that defence in enough and look to expose a few holes centrally that the, the gaps will open up even more than they already are out wide for their their lethal finishes on the flanks. So, uh, moving on to the Chiefs, though, like I mentioned, they surrendered a 24-point buffer. And I think if they hadn't already hit rock bottom, uh, they are certainly there now. And yeah. uh, I, as much as it sucks to be in that position, uh, one of the perks of it is that the only way is up and that all the pressure in this weekend's contest 
is on the Blues because the Chiefs have really nothing to play for uh, but to save face. Um, and with that, I ask, and I'm, and I'm not sure if the Chiefs even have any young guns left to spare considering all the injuries that they've had, especially in their forward pack, but do you think that now, given that they don't have any run-in for the competition, that they should use this time to potentially build towards next year or look to experiment, considering that what they've presented over the the last six rounds hasn't ended in a win? Yeah, it's definitely a hard one for the Chiefs. I guess uh, it all depends on uh, the big Warren G, what he wants to do. And uh, I think he's he definitely prides himself on being a good coach, really. So I think... First up, he'll definitely be picking the, the ace team to do the job. Other from that, like, I don't really know what's going on with the Chiefs recently. you think they'd be able to close out that sort of lead. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what squad they select. I would, wouldn't mind seeing like Triple T, Kevin Ryan at halfback, seeing how he goes, because he's kind of a bit like Matt Duffy. Not really dropped off the scene, but just hasn't had the game time to... Prove anyone wrong or right, I guess. Yeah, he's been the unfortunate victim of a of an informed Brad Weber, or from what Brad Weber was in, in twenty nineteen and at the start of twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that should the Chiefs lose this weekend, uh, which will, as I mentioned, be a record seventh loss. I, I don't know where they go from here because obviously what they've been throwing out there hasn't worked, or whatever prep work they've done during the week hasn't ended in them falling on the right side of the ledger after the, the final whistle on a Saturday night or Sunday afternoon. And so does there need to be some sort of shake-up? Now, I'm not saying that you sack Warren Gatlin because I'm the first to come to his defence that his tight five at the moment is so inexperienced that I think that's where half the battle was being lost. Now, I can't really point the finger at their tight five for surrendering that 24-point that lead because there were holes in that second half for the Chiefs all over the place. But when, when you come this far or, you know, when you get this far into the competition and nothing's worked, yeah. you know, I, I feel like there, there does need to be some sort of change. But, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, too sure where, where you do it because he didn't put Cruden on on the weekend. And so, like, is that a tell that he's going to try and develop Caleb Trask? Yeah, um, over the next couple of years because Aaron Cruden's not going to be here next year with his deal in Japan or do they look to give uh, Quintu Pyre um, more game time in the midfield and like in fairness to someone like Alex Nankerville I actually thought that he played really really well in one of his sole starts for the Chiefs this year and that the game actually turned when a couple of substitutions were made for the Chiefs particularly him on yeah. the fence, so yeah, there was a few holes that seemed to open up for the Landers in that latter part of the game. It was yeah, it was definitely wasn't up to Super Rugby standard, that's for sure. But in saying that, the Hollanders, you know, they they got definitely got a backline of the future, and maybe that's something the Chiefs need to try and kind of copy, sort of thing. Well, exactly. Mind, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing them just go out there and just chuck the ball around and just reassure the Chiefs fans that, you know, they can still play good quality footy? Well, well, they did. Well, they played pretty decent footy in that first half. And yeah. Now, you have to say that the Highlanders were their own worst enemy and they blew a couple of scoring opportunities and 
they were probably giving away a few too many penalties in their in that opening corner that that led to the Chiefs being presented with uh, try scoring opportunities and and they took them. But as soon as the Highlanders sort of cut out the errors in their game and got their tails up, the Chiefs had no answer. And for me, that's just uh, an example of a team having no backbone. And yes. I mean, Thomas, who was on the podcast last week, pointed out the fact that after being warned several times on their own try line that the next guy was going to go to the bin, Sam Kane was the one who ended up mm. giving away the penalty and finding himself in the naughty chair for 10 minutes. And a lot has been made of, of Sam Kane's selection as, as the All Black captain. And in my opinion, that's rightfully so because. I didn't think it was the right idea by Ian Foster and the All Blacks selectors to to pick a captain, given that we hadn't been given an, a big enough sample size to see who the informed players were in 2020. Now, yeah. he's, of course, going to get first shot at that All Blacks jersey, but he's not even the best player in his position at the moment. I, for one, think that Artie Sevier is the best open side in the country, but you look at the lights of Dalton Topoli, he's playing really, really well for the Blues. And you could even say that Sam's not even the best open side in his own team. The fact that they yeah, had to true. push Lachlan Beauchere out to six to accommodate him, but Lachlan's still playing like an open side and performing better at the open side role yeah. than his skipper. Definitely. Uh, yeah, at the yeah, end I, of that game here, ugly. at the end of the game, I thought he'd like probably made like a game-winning turnover or won that twice, last yeah, penalty twice, yeah, twice yeah. in a row. And then, yeah. I'd be pretty uh, angry if I was him after all that hard work and then the Highlanders come back to snip it. Um, the thing of, yeah, Sam Cade's definitely a, a hard one because he's been, you know, such a, I don't know how to say it, he's just been, he's been in the squad for so long. How do you leave him out sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess just from, from, from my position and where I stand is that he was on the bench at the Rugby World Cup last year in the most important game, that being the semi-final against England. Yeah. And this year, he hasn't been anywhere near as good as he was before he broke his neck in that unfortunate incident in South Africa at the end of 2018. Now, take nothing away from his leadership skills and whatever uh, respect or money he has within that all-black setup, but at the end of the day, you want to be having the best players in New Zealand playing for the all-blacks. And if you take away his, his reputation or his history in the national team, he gets nowhere near a black jersey in twenty twenty. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But if I mean, you're not yeah. if you're not playing him, who would you like prefer to see a captain for the All Blacks? Sam Whitelock. Uh yeah, see I was actually having like a debate well, it wasn't really a debate because he didn't really talk to me afterwards, but one of my, you know, <laughs> one eye Cantabrian workmates I was just telling him how I thought Tui Pelotu was playing a lot better than Sam Whitelock at the moment. And he didn't talk to me for like 15 minutes afterwards. So I'm loving how um, Paddy's going at the moment. But I guess you would have him paired with Sam Sam Whitelock. Or mm -hmm. Paddy, Paddy and uh, Sam Whitelock. Considering there's no other real locks at the moment. But who knows? We not, might not even be getting international footy this year. So... Could, yeah. might not even be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, all that stuff's up in the air at the moment, but we um we can't help but but chat about that sort of stuff, especially yeah. when 
you, you get a team like the Chiefs on the horror run. They are going through at the moment, and when the supposedly best player in their team, because typically your captain's your best player, he's not even leading from the front. So, yeah, I mean, that is what it is, bro. But um, we'll, we'll wrap up the preview here, though. Who are you picking, the Blues or the Chiefs to win? Has to be, um, has to be the Blues. And then Chiefs are only win of the season, but he gets Crusaders. Hurricanes will get up on Saturday and, yeah, Canes in to win the whole thing. You're a, you're a loyal bastard, my bro. Um, yeah, I'm picking the Blues as well. I think that they're going to be too good at home and that the the Chiefs' confidence is just gone. Like, yeah. like, I mean, like the, the beauty, like I mentioned, of hitting rock bottom and playing with no pressure could see them cause, I guess, an upset now with, with playing anyone, but I can't see it happening this weekend. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, and I think that the Blues... Being back at home after playing two away games will be really desperate, especially if they want to go on and win the competition. I think they have to beat the Chiefs this weekend if they if they want to be in contention for the yeah, they, for the top prize. So they won't want to go yeah. back to their sort of not old ways, but they don't want to be known as the team that just flops. Yeah, exactly, exactly, bro. And I, yeah, they, I think they're too professional now to do that. Yeah. You're not wrong there, bro. Leon McDonald's done an extraordinary job yeah. in the short time he's been at the helm. But uh, that'll do us for, for Wednesday night, my man. I look forward to catching up with you on Sunday or Monday, depending on how dusty you are from watching <laughs> watching the footy on, on Saturday night and yeah. depending on how, how dusty I am and what shapes to be another big weekend in the capital. But thank you very much for your time tonight. And yeah, yeah. Thanks for stay, having me, safe, mate. stay safe until... We catch up next. Yeah, I'll try to. Might get murdered by a Crusader supporter <laughs> on Saturday, so fingers crossed. All right, bro. Well, you, you just make sure that you have uh, that lovely missus with you to to, to fend off any Cantabrian <laughs> that um, that comes your way, bro. I'll Sound try, good? bro. I'll try. All right. You take care. Sweet, bro.